2,046 years ago, one of the most notorious political assassinations in world history took place. Julius Caesar, the dictator for life of the Roman Republic, was killed by a group of senators just before a session of the Senate was to start. The murder famously took place on the Ides of March. Learn more about the assassination of Julius Caesar, why it happened, and what exactly is the Ides of March on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. Before I get into the details about the assassination of Julius Caesar, I'd like to explain a bit exactly what the Ides of March is and what was so special about it. I've talked before on this show about the Roman calendar. The basic calendar that we use, including all the names of the months in English, all come from Rome. In particular, the calendar which Julius Caesar established, the Julian calendar, is still pretty much what we use, save for a minor upgrade for leap years every four centuries. However, within a month, The way the Romans counted days was totally unlike what we do. The idea of a seven-day week was actually instituted by the Emperor Constantine in 321, about 350 years after Caesar set up his calendar. The Romans didn't have days of the month. They didn't refer to something as March 15th, for example. What they did was pin down three days each month, and then referenced every day in the month with respect to those three days. The three days were the Calends, the Nons, and the Ides. The calends were always on the first day of every month. The nons fell on the seventh day of the month with 31 days, and on the fifth day of the month with less than 31. 
the Ides fell on the 15th day of months with 31 days and on the 13th day of months without 31 days. Days were referenced by the number of days before one of those three days, counting inclusively. So, for example, May 3rd would be five nons of May. Likewise, the Ides of March are on the 15th, but the Ides of April are on the 13th. The days originally came from the lunar calendar, had something to do with the phases of the moon, and when the calendar changed, they just kept those days. There isn't anything special about the Ides. It isn't like Friday the 13th, and it doesn't imply any sort of omen. It was just that the events of this episode happened to fall on that day. So, with that being said, Julius Caesar. The story of Caesar is one that is far too complicated for a single episode of this podcast. It is a fascinating story, and arguably one of the greatest biographies in history. However, for the purpose of this episode, I'm going to fast forward and summarize how Caesar got to the Ides of March in 44 BC. Julius Caesar was a very ambitious and capable man. He rocketed his way up the Cursus Honorum and became a consul in the year 59 BC, the earliest he could have done it. He established a strategic alliance with Pompeius Magnus and Crassus, called the First Triumvirate, and they basically controlled Rome through their wealth and power. After his year as consul, he was signed to be the proconsul in the provinces of Cisalpine and Transalpine Gaul. Cisalpine Gaul is what is today northern Italy along the Alps, and Transalpine Gaul was southern France along the Mediterranean. His term as governor was set for five years instead of the usual one year for an ex-consul, and it was later extended for another five years. And that's important, because so long as he was governor, he had legal immunity. While in Gaul, he basically conquered most of what is today modern-day France, also extending into Belgium. Caesar dramatically and quickly grew the territory of Rome. In the process, he probably killed a million people and enslaved a million more. The thing was that none of his conquests were approved by the Roman Senate. His success in Gaul made him personally very wealthy, and it also brought in a lot of wealth to Rome. He sent dispatches back to Rome about his adventures written by himself in the third person, and these served as propaganda which made him incredibly popular with the common people. His success also made him very unpopular with a large faction of senators. When his term as governor was expiring, he would lose his legal immunity, so he wanted to run for consul again. The anti-Caesarian senators wanted to use this opportunity to arrest him and put him up for trial because you had to be inside the walls of Rome to run for office. These anti-Caesarians refused to negotiate, so Caesar marched south to Rome with his army, which was a big no-no. And this is where the crossing of the Rubicon and the Dias caste comes from. His opponents, led by his former ally Pompey, fled Rome and headed to Greece to raise forces of their own, and it was the start of a civil war. Needless to say, Caesar won with a highly improbable victory at the Battle of Pharsalus. From there, he goes to Egypt to hunt down Pompey and meets Cleopatra. Now he is unquestionably the number one guy in Rome. Unlike many people in his position, he basically forgave most of his opponents who survived the civil war. He went well out of his way to be magnanimous, which, in hindsight, was probably a bad idea. While back in Rome, he expanded the Senate and packed it with his supporters. The Senate began bestowing honors on Caesar. They elected him dictator for a year, which is actually a legal position in Rome. Normally, it was only given in times of extreme emergency and for a six-month period. His appointment as dictator gave him legal cover for everything he did. His term as dictator was later extended to 10 years, and then finally he was appointed dictator for life in February of 44 BC. The more honors and power that were given to him, the more the anti-Caesarian forces began to worry. Their concern was that Caesar was going to commit the biggest sin a Roman could commit. He was going to proclaim himself king. 
There were several incidents before the Ides of March which had people worried about his desire to become a king. This increase in power and the threat of declaring himself king made his enemies realize that something needed to be done. Caesar needed to be taken out. The conspiracy began about three weeks beforehand on February 22nd with a secret meeting between Cassius Longinus and his brother-in-law, Marcus Brutus. They agreed that Caesar needed to die, but they didn't just want to kill him. There was a great symbolic significance to having a member of the House Bruti in on the plot, as it was a Brutus who helped dethrone the last king of Rome. If it was only a matter of killing Caesar, one man could have done it. The more people you recruit into a conspiracy, the greater the odds of it unraveling. However, Brutus and Cassius wanted the assassination to make a statement. They wanted as many senators to take part in the act to show the world that it was an act of tyrannicide, not just a common murder. In the end, they got about 60 senators to take part in the plot. However, they didn't recruit the one senator who was probably the most distinguished anti-Caesarian, Cicero. The big debate amongst them was if they should kill Caesar or all of his close advisors as well, in particular his right-hand man, Mark Anthony. In the end, they decided only Caesar should be killed, as they wanted this to be seen as a moral action against tyranny, not simply an act by a political faction. There were many ideas for where and how to kill Caesar. They eventually settled on doing the deed during a meeting of the Senate for purposes of symbolism and because that was the one place where Caesar would have no bodyguards. Caesar was planning on leaving Rome to campaign against the Parthians on March 18th, so they had to act relatively quickly, else he would be surrounded by his army for the next several years. The conspirators eventually decided to do the deed on the Ides of March at the Senate meeting. They made a vow that if the plot should be discovered, they would kill themselves. There's an indication that Caesar knew that something was going on the days before the assassination. The Roman historian Suetonius famously tells the story of a seer named Spurina, who warned Caesar of the Ides of March. The Senate meeting that day didn't take place in the forum where the Senate usually met. That day, they met in the theater of Pompey, as there was construction going on in the Senate building. That morning, supposedly, Caesar's wife Calpurnia had a nightmare where she had seen her husband drenched in blood. She begged him not to go to the Senate meeting, but Caesar decided to go anyhow. According to legend, he ran across the seer who warned him of the Ides of March on the way to the Senate. Caesar supposedly mocked him by saying that the Ides of March had come, and Spurina replied, yes, but they have not yet gone. When Caesar entered the Senate, he took a seat, and one senator, Lucius Tilius Kimber, came to him with a petition to bring his brother out of exile. Other senators gathered around Caesar in support of the petition, and Kimber pulled down Caesar's toga. Caesar replied, why, this is violence, after which the first knife thrust was made by Publius Servilius Casca. Caesar then shouted, Casca, you villain, what are you doing? And then all the knives came out. Caesar stumbled with blood in his eyes and eventually collapsed on the floor where they continued to stab him. It isn't known what his last words were. The line, et tu brute, was invented by Shakespeare. Plutarch just says that Caesar pulled his toga over his head when he saw his friend Brutus and just gave up. In the end, Caesar had 23 stab wounds, but a physician only found one that would have been fatal by itself. It's believed that he mostly died from blood loss from the multiple wounds. His body lay on the floor of Pompey's theater for three hours. The assassins immediately rushed out into the streets yelling that Rome was now free. They thought that they would be met with cheers, but in reality, they were met with stunned silence. In the end, the entire plan backfired on the conspirators. They felt that they were liberators freeing Rome from a tyrant. In reality, the vast majority of lower and middle-class Romans liked Caesar and the reforms he instituted. It was only a small group of wealthy senators at the top who really felt threatened by Caesar. 
Caesar's funeral turned into a riot after a stirring oration by Mark Antony, and it led to yet another Roman civil war. While the Roman Republic was hanging on a thread before the assassination, the death of Caesar broke it. Within 15 years, Caesar's great-nephew Octavius would be the first Roman emperor. Mark Antony and Octavius deified Caesar two years later, and he became the first historical figure to be deified as a Roman god. Octavius, later called Augustus, learned the lessons of Caesar and avoided the same fate. He and Mark Antony liquidated all of their enemies during the Civil War rather than forgiving them as Caesar did. When Augustus became emperor, he made sure to avoid the appearance of accumulating too many titles and honors, and rather just kept certain legal powers. He lived in a modest house, dressed simply, and didn't do anything to overtly antagonize the Senate. Every emperor for centuries traced their legitimacy back to Julius Caesar, even adopting the name Caesar as a title. The name continued into the 20th century with titles such as Tsar and Kaiser, which are just the Russian and German words for Caesar. There are very few events that we still commemorate that occurred over 2,000 years ago. The Ides of March was such a day. It shaped the history of the Western world, and it's why it's still remembered in the 21st century. Everything Everywhere Daily is an Airwave Media podcast. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. I have some more Boostagrams to share with you. Remember, a Boostagram is sending me some Satoshis via a modern podcasting app you can find at newpodcastapps.com. Dave Jones sent 712 sats from the Great Nottingham Cheese Riot episode. He said, quote, the petroleum episode was top-notch. Thanks, Dave. Those explainer episodes are usually some of the most fun for me to make. There are many things that we often hear about in the news or just casually throughout our lives, but we don't often get all the details or it's seldom explained in full. I'll be doing more episodes explaining various topics on energy, including how solar, wind, and nuclear power work. I received 314 sats from Petar on the Pi Day episode, and they simply said, Happy Pi Day. Well, thanks, Petar. I hope your Pi Day hangover doesn't prevent you from celebrating the Ides of March as well. Be aware, the Ides of March isn't just about stabbing. It's about coming together to stab as a community. Remember, if you leave a review or send me a boostagram, you too can have it read on the show.